Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Michael Beller, Jake Seeley, and Brandon Funston here with you. It is Monday, August 30th. I'm adjusting my mic as I'm, I'm just I'm pumped, guys. This is the last week of draft season, a week from now. So a week from now, we'll still be doing like sort of a uh like a, a draft season wrap-up, maybe, but then when we get together for our Thursday show next week. That's a ranking show. We're going to be talking about week one rankings and things like that. So this is our last full week of draft season talk, preseason talk. It's a great time of year. And Brandon, I actually want to go to you to start off because are you doing okay, man? Are you are you are you feeling all right after the weekend? Are your are all of your best ball teams dead with J.K. Dobbins being out for the season? Yeah, I was just looking. I actually did a quick accounting. I only had one actually that I'm I'm oh. playing out that's non best ball, and that's happens to be the flex league, where I got kind of you know, got some crap for taking four. <laughs> if you remember, I took four running backs uh-huh. and two quarterbacks in the first six rounds and eschewed the wide receiver position until round seven. I feel a little better about that strategy right now because uh, I am able to take that hit. But yeah. Pouring one out for J.K. That was a bummer. I was holding out hope that it wasn't going to be a season ender, but he got mm-hmm. the ACL, and yeah. So I guess, guess we got something to talk about off the top here. Exactly, we do. It's something we all hate to see, uh, and you know, least of all because of our own investment in J.K. Dobbins. You hate to see any player go down before his season even begins, even more so for a bright young budding star like J.K. Dobbins. So hopefully we're talking about a fully healthy and ready to go J.K. Dobbins in 2022, but that is exactly where we are going to start this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast as we look back at the third and final week of the preseason. J.K. Dobbins done for the year. So Jake, let's throw it to you now. Where you ranking Gus Edwards as you approach your final drafts of the season? Well, first, I, I, I don't want to hear anything from Brandon because I'm in a home uh, dynasty league with Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins, Ooh. so you can, you can get to walking <laughs> so on that Planning one. for 2022 yeah. already, huh? <laughs> yeah, it really comes down to it, which I also got, by the way, like, tough luck. I have Leonard Fournette available if you want him. <laughs> like, yeah, screw you. Like, oh, thanks for doing me some favors in your dynasty league, buddy. You don't expect anything coming anytime soon. <laughs> Gus Edwards is just fringe top 20 for me uh-huh. because this is basically what I was saying in general is Gus Edwards is essentially a Derrick Henry. You're just not going to get anything in the passing game. That's what it comes down to. You're going to get some great rushing numbers, but also unlike Derrick Henry, you have a quarterback that's going to be running for nearly a thousand yards. So it's not that Gus Edwards is going to be running for 1,800, 2,000 yards. So he's not Derrick Henry. He's the version of Derrick Henry that Baltimore would employ. And that means 40, 45% of the backfield rushing share because Lamar Jackson is close to 30% in his own right. So 
it's still a nice boost because Gus Edwards was down around 40, so he kind of almost doubles up in a leapfrog there. But Dobbins, I had at 14, uh, but he doesn't make Dobbins because Dobbins was involved in the passing game, and it comes down to, I tweeted about it when this happened, is Tyson Williams, who if you've been watching this team and paying attention to Jeff on our site and everything like that, they've been talking that he's surpassing uh, Justice Hill, who was playing a lot of the uh, special teams. So and also has more three down ability than Justice Hill does. So he would be the next one up that I'd stash. But Gus Edwards is very clearly 20 and he could finish as high as 14 or 15 like Dobbins did. But it's going to have to be all on the ground. He might finish the year with 12 receptions. Yeah, I think he's a good bet for about a touchdown per game. But yeah, even, you know, his rookie season. When- I had him projected for 12 yeah. on the seat, like when I updated this 12. And that's a lot yeah. to project for a running back. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, J.K. Dobbins averaged a touchdown per game down the stretch last year in, in 2019. Mark Ingram averaged a touchdown per game. He could get that, but you're right. Like when he had his run as a starter for like about six weeks or whatever it was as a rookie. He caught one pass in those like six games that he was getting like regular 15 to 20 carries. So, yeah, I am at RB uh, 20 right now as well. And, uh, you know, the Ravens, they don't throw the running back anyways. They had talked about doing it, but, you know, they were second to last in running back receptions last year. And now I think they'll just, you know, they will they will forget about throwing to the running back at this point. Yeah, Brandon, give us an idea of who else is there. Who is he behind? And maybe something behind someone that people would maybe think, oh, that's a little surprising. And who do you now have him ahead of that also same thing that maybe people would be interested in hearing that Gus Edwards is now ahead of player X for you? Uh, so I have him just behind Mike Davis. I kind of, you know, I, I, the receiving upside for Davis wins that one out for me. So he's ahead of just ahead of DeAndre Swift, who is questionable for week one. Yep. Kareem Hunt, uh, Damian Harris, Miles Gaskin, Daryl Henderson, Miles Sanders. Those are the guys that he's just ahead of. Jake, same question so, to you. Who are you sandwiching him with now? The only one that I have in front of him that you just mentioned is Daryl Henderson. Uh, and if you want to flip flop and say Edwards is safer, should be higher. You know, that's also I might have even under ticked. I mean, I was super, super conservative in the passing game. You know, maybe if I tick that up, he it's very close. So they could leapfrog him right in front. I'll tell you right in front of him is Henderson, Jacobs, Montgomery, Edwards, Alaire, and Mike Davis. So I could see him if I play around, maybe give him, you know, six percent or something like that which would be a enormous number for edwards or the target share but maybe that pushes him up past david montgomery but again i don't think he gets quite to the antonio gibson chris carson like 13 14 i just don't think he gets that high yeah we're pretty much all on the same page here i've got uh, gus edwards sitting at rb 21 for me he's just behind raheem mostert i know i'm very very high on raheem mostert uh, josh jacobs mike davis that's who i've got right in front of him Behind him, DeAndre Swift, Kareem Hunt, Miles Gaskin, Damian Harris. So sandwiching him in right in that same group. We're all pretty much on the same page. Uh, Jake, where do you think he ends up going just in the overall picture? Are we talking about Gus Edwards now as a third-round pick, a fourth-round pick? Where do you think he ends up following as now we're really getting down to the wire here? Yes. <laughs> That's a, like, yeah. No, I think I, I think third, fourth round is exactly where like uh, talking to Chris Meany this morning and, and he said he went in the fourth round. But if you're talking about who's in the third round, you're talking about James Robinson, Daryl Henderson. Mm-hmm. You're talking about RB 15, 16, 17, 18. Somebody's going to take him there. Somebody's going to be like, oh, five yards per carry. Well, this, this and that. And there's the argument there again. If he is Derrick Henry and he's even just one tick and not two ticks behind Derrick Henry. Again, he could finish as an RB1 in this offense. There's no question about it. It's The problem is it's going to have to be as efficient as it's been, as Brandon alluded to, is like if he's averaging even 4.8 yards per carry and close to a touchdown per game, that'll put him there. But it's going to have to be a very aggressive and efficient. Not saying he can't do that, but that's a lot 
to bake into that pick, and that's why. So, yeah, I could definitely see that he's going to be going in the third round. Yeah, you know, Brandon, I let think- me. Uh- Oh, go ahead. Yeah, let me let me ask you something a little bit different. You can answer that question too, but I also want to get into the idea of if you still do have drafts ahead of you, and I know all of us do, and I think a lot of people do. Is this changing at all the way you think about the the running back position? All of us are you know pretty strongly on being aggressive at running back early on in drafts, but now we have no J.K. Dobbins, someone that was you know, pretty comfortably a top fifteen guy. No Cam Akers, obviously, and he was someone who was being selected at the end of first rounds beginning of second rounds, no Travis Etienne wasn't quite in their stratosphere, but still someone who a lot of us like to circle around to as that high upside sort of, I don't know, fourth, fifth round selection at the running back position. All three of those guys are off the table now. Do you get more aggressive? Does that want to make you more aggressive at this position, Brandon? Well, I think, yeah, you're just taking out the, you know, you're taking out the supply, which just increases the demand, right? For the guys that are, that, you know, we still look at as being, volume safe and in in good positions to i mean yeah it's to me it's uh the jk dobbins gus edwards thing is just almost consolidating and making you know if look at if, if gus edwards had gone down we would be, be moving jk dobbins up into That's the true. top you point. know into the top 12 so it creates it creates a more singularity with that team and kind of takes away some of the oh i like jk dobbins but you know mm-hmm. um <laughs> but i i just think yeah i mean any Running back injuries are nothing new. We all went into this with eyes wide open, and running backs have been going off the board like crazy. I know in in drafts that I've been doing, I'm sure with you as well, and I don't know that this changes a whole lot other than make you want to get the guys that are actually healthy and get a lot of volume uh, even more. So, Sorry, I was laughing. I was like, with eyes wide open. <laughs> there you go. Bring it to singing into it. I love it, Jake. There we go. Beautiful. <laughs> Are you uh, uh, how wide open are your eyes at this running back position now? Which one? Are, are we still? I mean, like just in general, uh, more... the fact that we now have you know at least two guys. You can even leave ETN out of the discussion, and two guys who were you mean, you know, top you mean, fifteen okay, running backs I, a month ago, right. now not even playing this season. Okay, I, I well because Brandon pivoted back to the Ravens. So I didn't know if you wanted me to go back to the Ravens or go back to the what you're talking about for the yeah, general. Like That's overall why I RB strategy. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's the same. It's always been for me. Is I, I this is the same answer I've continued to give him for years, and it's never going to change unless the football, the NFL, like unless the NFL changes how they play. It's never. Gonna, I want to come out of the first three rounds with two running backs. I want to. Does that always happen? No, absolutely not. I have drafts this year where I have two wide receivers in the first three rounds. I either have one where Kelsey fell into the second round, which is just absurd at this point. I don't love him the first, but I'll always take him the second. So it doesn't happen every time. But I do for the most part because of what happens in this situation. You can make the argument you shouldn't be drafting, which is just a dumb argument because you misvalue. You could argue it both ways. And people get hurt in week one. But this is what it comes down to is it's remember what you were doing just last year. And I don't say you as you guys. I say everybody mm-hmm. listening is chasing Ahmed and chasing the next guy up and the Samaj P. Ryans and all that type of stuff is because you're trying to find running backs. I just did my home league auction over this past weekend and the Melvin Gordon's Jamal Williams and all those secondary running backs were going for low teens in an auction because you're grasping for options. You're just grasping for running backs. So I'll always aim to do that. Does it happen 100% of the time? No, but I, I still think that is the best strategy and that's what I've always gone with and won a lot of championships doing so. 
All right, let's look at the other big piece of news that came out of the week. And, you know, the player involved isn't going to be uh, fantasy relevant, at least off the bat. But Gardner Minshew going to the Eagles in a trade. Does it give you any pause whatsoever, uh, Brandon? And off the top of my head, I can't remember if you are, you know, pro Hertz, anti Hertz, neutral on Jalen Hurts. But does this, the fact that they went out and made this trade, make you hesitate with respect to where he was for you that maybe this isn't as uh, locked in a situation as it seems? I'm pro fantasy hurts, uh, anti reality hurts. Um, don't think he's a good passer at all. Understand the value of his rushing yards, making him a, you know, an arguably QB one. I think that Philadelphia somehow is tricking themselves into thinking that they could be potentially contend in the NFC East and they, they might want a contingency that's better than Joe Flacco if, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts goes off the rail. So I don't, I don't, you know, um, I don't read too much into this. Jalen Hurts still has, I think, a pretty decent leash, but you know, it is a contingency, and I think they're they're kind of preparing for what if the worst case scenario happens and Jalen Hurts is just abysmal. Well, I think it's that, and the worst case scenario is that we don't want to go to Joe Flacco after what we right. saw for Joe Flacco in the preseason. On yeah. top of it, is that's really what it comes down to. This is more of a threat to Flacco than anything, and I think the rails would have. I mean, we're talking blown up at the bottom of a ravine type of rails to for them to go away from Hurts because they're going to find out this is, I'll go back to comparing it to like Josh Allen for the Bills rookie season is no it's not Hurts rookie season but it is essentially his rookie season in the fact of an offense built for him and find out what he has is the Bills had no reason not to play Josh Allen the entire season find out what you can is Hurts the answer is Hurts potentially even in a broken offense the answer you will find out this year so if it's complete destruction in week 10 and they're like, all right, Gardner Minshew time. This is just not going to work. We're probably drafting a quarterback next year. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I think it's it's not the longest lease in the world, but I would say it's a leash that's going to have to be like burned at both ends before you see Hurts even yanked. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a fair way to look at this. Just with Hurts, though, being in that like back end QB1 discussion or not even really in it, he's he's pretty much uh, locked into uh, being drafted in that range. I think it's it's at least worth thinking about as we go into this final week of draft season. One more newsy thing I want to talk about before we get into some of the preseason action that we saw is that T.Y. Hilton is going to be missing what sounds like potentially significant time yeah. for the Colts. Uh, Colts are just sort of referring, referring to this injury vaguely as a disc issue. And you know, we already have Frank Reich saying we don't think it's a season ender, which if they're already talking about that, have to believe it's going to be something that causes him to miss serious time. So what are you doing in Indianapolis? How are you reacting to this news with the rest of the Indy offense, Jake? I thought it was interesting that he's kind of just not getting that much attention for it because <laughs> right? it is T.Y. Hilton. And T.Y. Hilton at the end of last year when they started moving him around, using him a little bit differently and saying, you know what, T.Y. Hilton's not what T.Y. Hilton is. Maybe we should use him differently. Hello, Larry Fitzgerald, similar situation. Not the same roles, but the same is like, you're not who you used to be. He bounced back towards the end of last year. People forget that. And people forget that. Like that was even with the the kind of broken down passing game that they had. Mm-hmm. So I thought T. Y. Hilton was intriguing. So I felt this would get a little bit more attention because now it's like, okay, is it Pittman? Is Pittman ready to be the number one? And then we're getting the talks that Zach Pascal is back past Paris Campbell and Paris Campbell's not looking very good. So now we're talking about the one, two, and now Campbell would be the three inherently, but that's not even a guarantee. There's some talk about Strachan and all the other type of guys. And he's a rookie. I mean, that was a flyer. He, not, that all being said, he's not even a guarantee to make the team. I'm just saying <laughs> that's how far Campbell has fallen. 
So what it really comes down to to me is this is starting to feel like a mess. This is starting to feel like I don't want anybody but Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines. Pittman, sure, but Pittman at cost right after this news broke. I mean, Pittman just skyrocketed and now he's fringy top 30, 35. And I like Pittman. I just have the feeling of like, is he, can he be the number one guy without, you know, getting some drawn attention away from him? And this tight end situation is like a tight end by committee, which I want nothing to do with. So I do want Pittman. I, I do like, yeah, tight end by, as it is. It's a, I know. It's a, it's I know. a tight end by I'm not committee. laughing because you're wrong. I'm laughing because it's gross. It is. It's super gross. I mean, they're even talking about Grants and the rookie looking good out there. So I want Pittman. I just I have a feeling it's going to be like one of those situations like similar to Daryl Henderson. There's going to be like, I love Henderson, but now with that injury, Someone you know, there. he's going to push towards like top 14 running back. And at that point, is the price too much? Pittman right now, love Pittman. But if he starts getting to the top 35, probably going to be out of that cost. Yeah, me too. I, I've always been interested in Paris Campbell. I hope he can stay healthy. And, you know, with Hilton God, maybe he can pick up a bigger part of his role as well. So I don't know if you're drafting Campbell yet or if it's a, you know, if it's a, just a kind of wait after week one and see if you like what you saw. But, um, yeah, Indy's had a rough preseason. I mean, all, they're getting injured all across that offense, which is fine because they play the Seahawks in week one. So they can get healthy in week two. Selfish. Unbelievably <laughs> selfish there. Yeah, yeah, play the Seahawks there. in week one. Kevin Kernick watching <laughs> us on YouTube. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us. He's on that Paris Campbell bandwagon. I agree. I think that's more of a wait and see than a draft approach with everything we're hearing coming out of Indy. But it will be interesting to see who scoops up those available looks. And I think I'm a little bit more bullish on uh, Michael Pittman than you two guys. I think he deserves to be in that 35 go to Wisconsin. What? I know. I know. It's crazy. Right? <laughs> when you say Wisconsin, you've said it all. I've got it right there. Um, when, I do think he deserves to be in that 35 range. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to take him when he's on there. I still I like Marvin Jones better than him. I think I like Curtis Samuel better than him. I'm probably taking Tyler Boyd ahead of him. So I think that comes to what you say, Jake. Even though I do think he deserves to be in that back-end wide receiver three range, if I like those guys better than Michael Pittman, there's probably going to be someone in my league who likes Michael Pittman a little bit better than me. We always see these sorts of situations develop. We're seeing it with Pittman. We're seeing it with Daryl Henderson. We are probably seeing it with Gus Edwards as well. All right, guys, now I do want to talk about some of the preseason week three developments. And one thing that caught my eye that uh, I feel like maybe didn't get a ton of attention over the weekend was the performance of Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton looked really good in Denver's final preseason game uh, played 18 first team snaps that was I think Denver had like 19 first team snaps 20 first team snaps uh, Sutton played basically all of them had three targets caught two of them for 27 yards and a touchdown Jake did you see what you needed to see from Cortland Sutton in this game yeah, I just wanted to see that he looked healthy. He looked healthy, and this is one of the ones, unlike Kenny Galladay, mysterious, still not on the field, is that, mm -hmm. you know, just making sure he was okay, got him out there, got the reps, and got him out of the game. Uh, yep. Unfortunately, some like other situations, like we kicked off the show with, but we saw a lot week threes. They wanted to get some reps with the ones. We hadn't seen Daniel Jones the entire preseason. We saw the Giants get some of their guys out there, and that's why I bring it in, because you did want to see Galladay, and he looked good. Uh, and what on top of it, is the fact that Tim Patrick was out there more than Judy was. And I'm right. not saying that's a super concern, but that was the concern that I went back to from day one with Judy is that it was, would he be, if there's three wide on the field, is he back into the slot, which is good for him. But what happens when there's only two? Is he going to be splitting with Patrick or is he going to definitively be the number two? I want him to be. I believe he can be. He is Jerry Judy. But the clear answer we got is that Sutton is the one. Sutton is back to the one. And let's remember Sutton was being drafted as a fringe 
wide receiver one in fantasy because of his ability. Yep. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Not only was he back, I mean that that down and in that he ran was great. I mean he he juked the defender, made a nice sharp cut, and you know he kind of just one play there, but you saw what you wanted to see. Then he got the touchdown. Yeah, I've always been in on Cortland Sutton over Jerry Judy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about this, I think, on the last pod though. Is like they're both wide receiver threes for me though. Sutton's a higher wide receiver three, but in this offense, we, we expect to be run heavy defense. Teddy Bridgewater's limitations as just a you know the ceiling of his passing game. They're both wide receiver threes. You're probably not getting either of them if you're valuing them as wide receiver threes because there's going to be someone who wants to take. I think both of those guys. Eh, maybe you're getting. I'm, maybe I'm you're getting, getting Sutton. Sutton. Sutton yeah, maybe sure. Sutton actually. Sutton. As, a, as I think through the math of that, yeah, maybe you're getting Sutton, but you're probably not getting Judy. Jake, are you on Sutton over Judy now after what we saw yeah. over the weekend? No, always was. Uh, always that's was. That's why everybody was always yeah. was. Everybody was telling me this entire time. I'm stupid. I'm so low on Judy. <laughs> Judy, why do you hate Judy? Why do you hate him so much? I have him in the low 30s, and it's really go back to it. I'll pull up my rankings right now. It's just the names in front of him. I love Judy, yeah. but. Yeah, I just mentioned Kenny Galladay. Like, I have Judy at 37. I just mentioned Kenny. But Kenny Galladay, like, maybe the Giants are finally smart for a change, and he is healthy for week one. I don't like him with Daniel Jones. I'm still taking Galladay, Odell Beckham, Debo, Cortland Sutton, Marvin Jones, Chenault, Robbie Anderson, Claypool. Like, where do you put Judy in front of those guys? And I love Judy. <laughs> it's just that. But this, again, what I think this is full circle, to use that. They say, there you go, Brandon. For three months ago, we were talking how deep wide receiver is. I want Judy to be higher. But it's like this just tells you how deep. And that's in front of Tyler Boyd and Will Fuller and Curtis Samuel, who you can make the argument for that could finish in front of them. Yeah, I was going to say when you were tied receiver three draft way back when, because this is just an incredibly deep group of guys who no one's taking as top 20 receivers, but everybody seemingly wants on their team. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say earlier when we were talking about Pittman, you were saying he's a, you know, he's pushing back in wide receiver three. I think there's about 20 to 25 receivers that are pushing back in wide receiver three, and it makes it really hard to rank these guys. It, it really does. And one of the guys Jake mentioned was LaVisca Chenault, and we can jump down to him because more Visca hype, certainly. Uh, Marvin Jones didn't play. DJ Shark didn't play in this game. But, you know, Visca took advantage of the opportunities. He was given Trevor Lawrence look excellent in this game. Uh, Visca uh, got three targets, cut all three of them, 33 yards and a touchdown, and I think something you can take with some confidence with as it relates to LaVisca Chenault is seeing a ton of 11 personnel from the Jaguars this season, a ton of three wide sets, one tight end, one running back, and even if he is only in there in three wide, this team's going to run a ton of three wide. Is it enough, Brandon, for you to get on board with LaVisca at his increasing draft cost? Yeah, well, it's, kind of, it's something about it that I've noticed this preseason. It sure seems like they're manufacturing touches for LaVisca. And kind of like how you, when you watch Arizona, you see the same thing with Rondale Moore. I think he's been out there because they have they have designed plans for how they want to use him. It makes me feel better about him on a week-in, week-out basis. And I think that they very specifically have, a, you know, have an idea of how they want to use him. And so for that, I'm kind of heartened. I, I haven't... You know, I still have Marvin Jones ranked as the top Jags receiver, but I, you know, I got Visca kind of just pushing right at the edge of that top forty uh, to get in there, and I want to do it again. It just comes down to so many guys that you have to move to move a guy up, and it's like, oh, it's hard. 
It, it is. And but that's really what it comes down to is just the, the usage that they're finding ways. It's still concerning whether or not the three wide is going to be an option for them. Uh, but we already talked about it too, is that just might be offset by the rushing upside with no Travis mm-hmm. Etienne now. There's just a lot of, but there's a lot of uncertainty in general. I mean, we already hear like the Urban Meyer thing has been a mess this entire preseason. Like he almost seems like he doesn't know what he wants to do game to game. And now the front office is already sounding frustrated with him. And which is just, we talked about this months ago. It's like, what if this is a Chip Kelly situation? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Chip Kelly, like Chip Kelly, all this great college mind comes to the NFL and just bombs because you can't do that in the NFL. So again, I'm not saying it's going to be a complete mess. Uh, Trevor Lawrence looked great and everybody's like, oh God, look at these throws. He's made. Oh, yo, he's Trevor freaking Lawrence, people. Um, <laughs> but it comes down to it's just consistency of use is the only question. I You said it, Mike, is I have them almost, I do have them back to back. They're both inside the top 40. If Shark ends up being the best, I think that's kind of the long shot at this point because he hasn't been on the field, but it still wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Uh, oh, enjoyed, Brandon. Well, I was just going to say, I, I looked it up the other day. There's been like 15 to 20 uh, guys that went straight from college to the NFL in the la- since 2000, and all of them except for two have went out with losing records, and <laughs> Bill, O'Bri- Bill O'Brien was two games over 500. He was one of the successful ones, and the only other one that was successful was Jim Harbaugh coming in from Stanford. So, um, yeah, there's just a long track record of wait, these wait, guys. Over, over how long of a period of time was that? Since 2000. So Just, just the, for their entire coaching careers? Yeah, for their entire coaching careers, only two of them have had winning records, and Bill O'Brien's was Are, a big barely. So you're, we're not Pete Carroll's previous NFL experience makes him ineligible for this discussion? Yes. Yes, it is. His pre-USC NFL yep, experience? exactly. Yeah. I got you. Had to be a college. So, we're, so we're Urban Meyer, we're looking at another Jonathan Bender and not a Kevin Garnett. <laughs> That's right. Or, uh, Nick, or like, Nick Saban. Just, yeah. just in general, you seem pretty upset by this. <laughs> <laughs> um, one more thing in Jacksonville that we had. So you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, who's surprised, right? Trevor Lawrence, all he's been is the best college quarterback uh, for the last three years running. So no surprise that he looked great. 17 snaps that he played. James Robinson played 10 of those. Carlos Hyde played seven. We've talked about this a little bit. Now we saw it in practice. Jake, are you scared at all about what Carlos Hyde could do as it relates to eating into James Robinson's workload? No, I'm scared of what Urban Meyer might do. That's yeah. <laughs> what it comes down to. We mentioned this when the injury happened. Is He's the one that drafted ETN in the first round despite having James Robinson. They haven't made the move for everybody's favorite player that it doesn't have a team and apparently could play for all 32 teams despite nobody <laughs> signing him, Duke Johnson. Duke. As we just want to, Everybody wants to put Duke Johnson on every single team in the NFL. I don't know if you saw Brian Hill is now on the injury reserve, going to miss the season. Duke Johnson, put him on Tennessee. But it really comes down to is... I say that jokingly for the fact that like I wouldn't be shocked if he still brings in somebody because he doesn't that I'm talking about Urban Meyer doesn't seem a hundred percent sold on James Robinson, despite if you've watched the preseason, as messy as this offense has been, and you watch the backfield, even when ETN was out there, you would say if you just took the names off the jersey, said, Let me watch football with a smart eye, James Robinson passes the eye test to use that cliche. He's the best looking running back. Has it been also messy in in general because of the offense? Sure. But James Robinson, but that's also why, to go back to the conversation we had last week, that's why I have him at 58% versus the 70% he was getting last year. So I'm not because that still keeps James Robinson inside the top 20 running backs. Brandon, anything to add? Nothing to add to that. No. 
just sorry. I'm, I'm looking up. I'm, I'm I'm preparing for the. Looking up coaches. I'm, I'm I'm ahead in the script. I'm just preparing my uh, my comments for what's coming. Up. Sorry. All right. Well, I want to I want to talk about some of these uh, running backs that we have talked about. We talk. I, I want to say we talked about all of these guys last week after their preseason games, but we got another data point, and I just want to do reinforce uh, some of those discussions that we had a week ago. So let's start with Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert took all the first team snaps for San Francisco. Uh, both you guys, I guess we're all Trey Sermon fans. I mean, we all like Trey Sermon to varying degrees. None of us is fading Trey Sermon, that's for sure. I am just very, very strongly on Team Mostert after what we've seen from him <laughs> for the last two seasons. And it just seems to be that no matter what, we're going to see him as the number one back in San Francisco so long as he's healthy. And what really drives it home for me is that we're not talking about him suddenly sharing a backfield that he didn't share previously. He's always shared this backfield since he's been an important part of San Francisco's offense, and he's always found a way to huge per game and per touch numbers. So I don't really see Trey Sermon as someone who detracts significantly from Raheem Mostert from where he's been previously. I think Mostert can just keep doing what he's doing. Health is the concern, not Sermon, and I like Sermon as well. Uh, Brandon, where do you go on Mostert as we now have wrapped up the preseason? Yeah, that's this is part of my research. Just looking at the last three years, the, the number one, <laughs> the, the highest carry total by a San Francisco 49er running back was Matt Breida in 2018 over the last three years, and that was 153 carries. And you look at the, the year after that, it was Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert, 137 each, and like Jeff Wilson, or the third guy had like 100, or Breida, was Breida had 120, and then last year, Jeff Wilson, and like, I, I it's fine. You can call Raheem Mostert the number one running back but he's just not going to be that far ahead of Trey Sermon and I don't think you can really rank these guys that far apart from each other they're going to have a very close split this has always just been the way Kyle Shanahan's operated this backfield yeah pretty much and what it comes down to as well though is unlike the Denver situation where it's like hey he's going to definitively take over this is one where it's like you know what if if they're if Mostert stays healthy it's not the best case scenario, but it's not the end of the world. Raheem Mostert splitting the backfield with Sermon and other options mm-hmm. can still be a consistent and great RB2, and you can probably get flex value out of Sermon. And then if anything were to happen to one or the other, we always talk, and I'm not saying you, Mike, because we just in general in the fantasy community always say what happens to Mostert, Sermon's going to turn into a potential RB1. What if it, something happens to Sermon? Like, nobody's <laughs> talking about that. Like, he's a rookie, so we're kind of just throwing that out and no injury history, but it's like, what if Sermon goes down and all of a sudden Mostert jumps back to what he was at the end of last year in those few games where he was an RB1 because of the volume? So there is upside for Mostert besides where he's going as well. I wouldn't do what our uh, colleague in the industry has done, but Steve Gardner in the Flex League at the turn in the seventh, eighth round, because I guess the you know the expense wasn't that great in his opinion, but he took Mostert and Sermon. Now, I don't think he's playing to play both of them, but it's not the worst where you know you potentially get an mm-hmm. RB1 if hap- something happens to either one. Yeah, yeah. Purdue needs a win over Ohio State, and it's not happening at the college level. So I think it can happen here in San <laughs> Francisco with, with Mostert getting a little <laughs> bit ahead of Trey Sermon. You mentioned Denver. Let's go to that one, Jake. Uh, Javante Williams didn't play. Melvin Gordon did play. Melvin Gordon looked pretty good. You guys in that uh, in that uh, game, five carries for 35 yards, got one target, caught it for four yards. But still, again, I just wanted to check in on this. This can be quick. Status quo mm-hmm. in Denver, everything we've been talking about, Javante takes over eventually, and eventually maybe has already happened with the fact that he sat and Gordon didn't. There you go. 
<laughs> All right, I have him at RB26. I have Melvin Gordon at 35, and that's only because I think they split more to start the year than they do when it's finally mostly Williams. I think this is more telling in the fact of let's make sure Melvin Gordon looks usable and the fact that they set sat Williams knowing they've seen enough which by the way Michael Carter's still getting run in all three games and granted we could talk about Michael Carter falling We're coming down that next <laughs> yeah so the difference is is Williams sat they've seen enough Williams is the guy mm-hmm. yeah you want to talk yeah. Michael Carter let's talk Michael <laughs> Carter because he played again in week three, Tevin Coleman did not play for the Jets. And once again, not only did he play, but he's running behind Ty Johnson in that game. I mean, guys, it, 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 I, we, we just have to own up to what the Jets are doing, right? Like Michael Carter, if and when the takeover happens, it's not going to be for a while. Where are you at? On, I mean, if Brandon, you do have multiple drafts this week. How are you going to be treating Michael Carter in those drafts as bullish as you are on the player himself when you consider the situation? Yeah, I've had to I've had to, you know, consider the situation. I've had Michael Carter all the way up to like RB21 at one point in the summer. He's down to RB29 now, but I'm still I'm still for the long run going to bet on the talent, but I think what we should know about this thing is it's uh, you know, it's going to be a relative of the San Francisco 49ers backfield where they're simply not just probably going to have one guy that's going to going to, you know, win this job and run away with the volume. I think no matter what, you're going to see all three of these guys and but in the end I still bet that Michael Michael Carter because of his upside in the passing game because I think he's the most talented guy in all aspects of the backfield role is is still the best player and I will still bet on that for the long run but I have dropped him down to just you know barely inside my top 30. Yeah and that's really what it comes down to is this is the situation that we talked about a month or two ago is that we both all of us expected Michael Carter and but when I say both the players Michael Carter and Javante Williams to both take over mm-hmm. by week or six or seven. It's looking like Williams is already taking over. Not, again, not a 70, 80% workload, but he is the lead guy, whereas it's not Michael Carter yet. It's still probably going to happen. We are talking Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson, and we're talking talent wins out at running back more often than anything else, even if you are a rookie, because talent running back is is more dis- – there's a bigger disparity even though there's less of an impact, if that makes sense. So you want to go with that upside. And Michael Carter is the best talent. It just might not be the beginning. And what do we just go from transitioning, talking about San Francisco? Uh, Where did this solid guy come from? Oh, yeah, that's right. These type of backfields and these type of situations where (laughs) even at best case scenario, if it was Carter, it still might only be 50% of the workload. So Carter, I like it now because he's a better value than he was. He was creeping up into the fifth round. And now we can still get the discount that we wanted and we were getting three or four weeks ago. All right, one more backfield situation I want to touch on. Again, this one can be very quick, but I think we should just mention it. Damian Harris <laughs> played all the first and second down snaps with the first team in their first game since the Sony Michelle trade. James White played all the third down snaps. I mean, is this exactly what we're expecting it to be as clean as we saw it in this game, Jake? Mm, yep. This is, I mean, they made the trade. This is exactly what we're having. This is why. I I will. Anybody who called me stupid for Damian Harris, yeah, where are you now? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so wait, let me also ask you this, and Brandon, you answer this one too. So where is Harris now in your rankings? Now that Michelle's gone, we've seen it. We know first and second down owned by Harris. Third down probably owned by James White. Where does he end up in your rankings? Jake? Oh, I thought you said I thought you said no, Brandon. He Sorry. asked you. I didn't <laughs> say I could follow up. I have him at twenty three right now. Ah, ah, there you go. I knew you said Brandon there. Twenty three. Damian Harris from. Yep, he's twenty three. Are you talking about you or me? Because I was just twenty three for me. He's twenty three for me. <laughs> there you go. 
Look at that. Twenty three. Twenty three. There's no, 23. There's no little, bet to make. <laughs> little little agreement. Yeah. Too bad. No 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 side bet to make. We've sort of fallen behind in these last few episodes. We'll get some on Thursday. I'm already ginning up an idea in my head that's gonna force us into side you're doing bets. What? Your yes, head? You know, ginning up ideas. Ginning, ginning them up. up. I never I never, yeah. I never heard that before. Like an engine. I think that's what it comes from. I've always assumed that's what it comes from. Like how the cotton gin, you know, gin is short for engine. I've always assumed that's what the ginning things up phrase comes from. Uh, yeah, that's new to me. I, I'm not etymology saying, I just, I never, etymology is very fun. No, I've, you, should, I've, you should look into it. I've heard the term. I've never really thought about where where it comes from, but that makes some sense. I like it. That's what I'm doing for you guys. Yeah. I'm always thinking about where phrases Knowledge. come from, where <laughs> words come from. Then we can drop them in and learn a little something that has nothing to do with football alongside all the football that we're getting. Um, I also want to empty the tight end notebook because there had you know we, we've we've neglected to address the position in a big way, but. You know, there have been some things that happened. We had the Adam Troutman injury a couple of weeks ago. This week, we have Irv Smith and Evan Ingram both suffering injuries. Irv Smith's going to miss some time early in the season. We already know that after undergoing surgery on his knee. Evan Ingram has a calf injury, so we're keeping a big eye on that. Is there just, I mean, with all the things that have happened, with these back-end guys, Troutman, who we were excited about earlier, Irv, Ingram, with those injuries happening, I mean, are you doing any, are you approaching this position any differently, Jake, than you were, say, maybe a month or so ago i'm saying stop stealing my notes from my own football show <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's no it's so funny you you came up with the same thing because today i told me i said sorry chris but and i know people are like oh because that was his face but i was like let's talk tight ends after the top six seven eight tight ends because yeah, what are you doing not and then, oh this is the truth is is like a third of the league maybe a fourth at best but you're there's going to be teams that has to jump into this pool and don't want to swim these waters to continue with this paraphrasing <laughs> like it, it really comes down to like i like janu but after you get past janu then you get what you're talking about here is we're talking about cole Komets and uzmas and jarwins and conklins now that irv smith got hurt which you're welcome that was the only tight end i took in my home league so i just ruined that for everybody nice uh, it's, it's but that's you're, no you're right in the fact that we do have to talk more about this situation because trotman 50% of the time, at least, is blocking, so he's off the board. Irv Smith is hurt. I think Conklin's intriguing while Irv Smith is out. You know, you guys know that I brought that up before, saying that Conklin was more consistent on the targets at the end of the season when Kyle Rudolph was done. Irv Smith had the bigger games, but he was offset with two good games and two really stinkers. I think Conklin's intriguing as long as Irv Smith is out. Evan Ingram being hurt. Uh, you, the Gronk situation. Like, Yes. This guy went. Yes. He Are went, we sleeping on him? Are we sleeping on Gronk right now? I, I brought this up on the show. In in his 11 games, once he woke up, uh, I've mentioned this before, not to name drop Brian McFadden because he's a former player who told me this, so I'm giving all the credit to him. He said Gronk was going to take some time, and he brought it into his comparison was Antonio Brown. He legitimately said this on my podcast. Don't expect anything from Antonio Brown till December. He called that to a T. This is why he's a former player and now an, an analyst is Gronk last year, once he did, it was seven touchdowns in 11 games. Like, he was a tight end top five once he woke up. Again, I'm not saying I would take him there, but I think Gronk is the easy answer staring us. I'll say it correctly this time, Mike. <laughs> it's the smooth brain thinking that Emery always puts out. Like, it, the answer's there. Don't overthink it. Yeah, I, you know what? I mean, I don't know that I've changed a whole lot on the tight end position. If you're not in on those first six guys or so, there was a ton of guys that you were considering to take at the back end. And, I, like, I'm still getting a lot of Gerald Everett, you know, and there's, like, guys like Cole Komet, um, Anthony Ferkser is kind of in my kind of maybe list now. But, like, it's not that hard, especially in a 12-team league. 
to throw out a guy at, at as your last as a last tight end starter taken in the league that you feel like has some upside. It's not pretty, but it never is at the back end of the tight end position. This is nothing new. I mean, I feel like the like the upper tier class has gotten bigger because it's not just those three guys. There's like a second tier of three now as well. So at least half of the of a twelve team league is is pretty solid, and that doesn't even include Logan Thomas. So. Oh, so that's what I was going to say. And we got to be quick on this. So give me like 30 seconds each. If you don't get to the top six and the top six are Kelsey Kittle Waller, Pitts, Andrews Hawkinson. I don't know if anyone has any of those guys not in the top six. If you don't get one of them, are you going for Logan Thomas or Robert Tunyon or Noah Fant? Or are you just waiting and saying, I'll throw a dart at Cole Komet. I'll throw a dart at Tyler Higby. Maybe you even have Tyler Higby in that next group. But how that's... are you treating that sort of, uh, how are you treating that group of tight ends, Brandon? Yeah, I think it's just a, it just has to do with where you know con- go big or go home. Well, it's just context too. I mean, I'd take Logan Thomas at the right spot if he's still sitting there. I mean, yeah, it's just about who else is available at other positions, what my needs are. But I would like to have Logan Thomas. I think he's kind of positioned himself as, in my mind, the number seven guy. You know, he's almost mm-hmm. a tier of himself, and then yeah. after that, it's a whole bunch of guys. So yeah, I wouldn't mind Logan Thomas, but it has to be the right spot. I'll I'll listen to Mike and answer quick. Number seven is Higby for me. I'll go Higby. If not Higby, Jono. If not Jono, then I'm just waiting in darts, and that's like the Jarwins of the world. I do like Higby, yeah. I, I would almost put him there with Thomas as well. Tight end. An interesting spot if you don't end up spending up as it so often is. It pretty much is every single season. All right, guys, we are just about wrapping up the show here, so I'm just going to ask you for a parting thought. We are, again, at the start of the final week of draft season, so this could be go get player X you have to have, and this could be uh, some sort of strategy tip, but a parting thought as people are wrapping up draft season and engaging in their final drafts and auctions. Jake, what do you got? Go get your running backs. We already talked (laughs) about it, but I mean, even after, if you don't do the first two rounds, go get your running backs late, too, and get plenty of these backup options out there like the Williamses, multiple Williamses. Uh, these situations could change on a dime, and we know that. It's an injury in week one. It's no different than what we just saw what happened to J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers in the preseason. Like These things happen week one, two, three, four, five, and that's why some people argue zero running back, but these kind of options are out there. Don't be the league that leaves the Tony Jones of Latavius Murray gets cut. Don't leave Tony Jones lingering out there. Don't leave all these other options hanging out on the waiver wires is make sure you just stock that bench. Your bench should be upside. Never. Oh, I can use them during my bye week. Those guys are pointless. Uh, I will throw out the thing that drives me crazy the most. The most questions I get are of this ilk. Hey, I have the eighth pick in a draft. I'm thinking of going running back, wide receiver, wide receiver, running back, quarterback. I cannot stress the importance of being strategy agnostic when it comes to your draft. Go in with your list of your rankings and draft off your sheet for the best available, at least for the first six, seven rounds. Then you can start going strategy with positions and what's available, but Get the best players and don't be preset on a notion that I need to have. You know, Jake will say I need to get two running backs in the first three rounds, but you're not you're not married to that if the draft room. You know, I say I want yeah. to, don't need, you don't to. need to. Yes. There you yeah. go. So, exactly, I'm Brandon. I'm not even joking. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Get best players early. Worry about positions later. Right there with you on that. So I'll throw out a more team specific or player specific. Geez, man. The stuttering's been ridiculous. The <laughs> so team-specific or player-specific parting thought from me, I want investment in Cincinnati's passing game. I want investment in Tampa's passing game. I want investment in Dallas's passing game. I am uh, 
borderline uh, totally agnostic on the players I get, but I want investment in those passing games because they are going to be very lucrative this season. So I have all those guys, all those receivers on those teams and the quarterbacks on those teams in my mind as I kick off my draft. We have just kicked off the final week of draft season here on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Right now, you can go to theathletic.com slash fantasyfootballpod to get 50% off an annual subscription. This is one of the biggest deals we do all year, so take advantage of it now while you can. We've got three more episodes coming to you this final week of draft season. That includes me, Jake, and Brandon back with you on Thursday. Until then, have a great couple of days. We'll talk to you soon, and happy drafting. We'll be right back.